I'm going to be all over the place this morning. I don't have a three points. I have like 11, and they're from four different sermons, but it's going to be awesome. And, um, but in, in all seriousness, this is a true rhema for me that I'm just, I'm going to just download what God has been downloading in me. And we're in our uncensored series, and we're asking the question for week number two. We took a break for Father's Day last week, but I want you to understand we're, what we're building to in July, I'll take two weeks, it'll be two full Sundays, that we will talk about gender confusion, biblical sexuality, and it won't be what I think or what conservative think, conservatives think. It'll be uncensored about what God's Word says, and, and it will be loving and forthright, and it will be freeing, and it will bring life like God's Word always does. We'll talk about a couple of other things. Um, social aspects of the, the, there's a new gospel and it's social justice and racism. And, but, but we can't discount what the enemy's doing with a knee-jerk response and have the right answer the wrong way. And so July, and I've been intentional about saving those for the last of this series as we build the groundwork. And then let me say this too. Next week, it, I think it's significant this year that the 4th of Ju July is on a Sunday. And I'm going to be talking about freedom in many different um, aspects of it, biblically, and what I think is going on in the nation and around the world right now. I don't, typically, a pastor would say, oh, my goodness, 4th of July is a Sunday. And I know some of you guys are going to be tempted to go out and play golf in the morning and whatnot. If you are in town, hear me. I've said this, we're not, we're not treading water this summer going in vacation mindset. Um, our Sundays and what God is doing in the world right now are too important for us to take a summer break, spiritually speaking. So I'm bringing intense words. I'm not speaking on Wednesdays because I really need the study and prayer time for Sundays. But if you are in town next week, please, by all means, be with us. And then if your kids aren't signed up to go on the summer student, junior high and high school uh, camp, you, you need to get them. That You can't afford for them not to have good, godly, biblical influence where they can get away and have an encounter with the Lord. And then also, Cindy, our children go away on camp on the week of the 4th as well. So next week's a big, big week, and then July is going to be a powerful month. Now, Genesis chapter 2, this is the question. Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The very next chapter, first verse, the serpent, Satan, was more crafty than any other of the beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And there, that's a great understatement. Satan was sly. He didn't appeal to Eve to rebel against God. He appealed to her love for God. It's just, it just remarkable. Um, legal approach to how he got Eve to doubt what God said. And then he said this. He said to the woman, did God actually say, did God, actually, did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The message translation says this, where it says, did God actually say. Some translations say, did God really say? The message says, and doesn't this sound like a prosecuting attorney? He says, do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? And she should have said, exactly. 
she should have answered, God actually said, no, I can eat from any tree but that one tree. And, and this is his age-old trick he plays to dupe us all. He challenges what God has said, what God's word is. Two weeks ago, we answered the question, why I believe the Bible is true. We said first, um, it stands on its own. It's self-fulfilling. The prophecies, they fulfill themselves. Secondly, we said, it's amazing. And I know we don't have time to break it down. You may go, well, that doesn't sound very intellectual. You, well, you should have been here. It, it sounded really intellectual. But, um, and the third thing, and I hurried through this. I want to visit it just, just for a second. The third reason we said that I believe the Bible is true is I know the author. And I have found out that when I live according to the word, I've got to hurry through some really profound stuff. But I have found out when I put the seed of the word in the ground in my life, it always comes up. Always. And, and like what my seminary professors, what all the books I've read in the last 35 plus years, none of that is more convincing to me than my own personal testimony. And I could give example after example after example. Even the rhema word, doing my devotion one day, um, in 1994, the Lord had been speaking to us. I, I was a student pastor here. The Lord had been speaking to us about going out and doing uh, evangelism on the road. And I didn't know what it would look like, but I knew God was. And, and he spoke to me. He said, I want you to resign. And I was like, okay, I'll do that as soon as we can get some appointments lined up. And God specifically spoke to me. He said, no, when you resign, I'll send the proof. I want you to trust me. I walked into Pastor Munn's office on a Tuesday, walked out, had a pink slip, not dismissing me but a pink slip one of those while you were out remember before smartphones and an email and it said uh, so and so called long story short that was on a Tuesday by that Friday in April our whole summer calendar was booked and the rest and we wrote off going oh my goodness God is blessing this and see it's in the obedience of the word he's speaking to me from the word in my devotions just like I shared earlier I obey it put it in the ground and boom it comes up in 2020, last year, the Lord had spoken to me about fasting, and I told Candace, I, I can't tell the Lord. I've never felt this in my life. I've got to hurry through this, but I cannot tell you how profound this experience was. I, I've, and the Lord it called me to fast at a length that I'd never fasted before in my whole life. I didn't know if it was even possible. And I told her, and this is in early 2020, January, I said, I it's like I don't have a choice. It's a vortex. I'm like just being drawn into it, and I can't say no. And so I did that fast and came out of it, and I was like so excited about going to eat, and all the restaurants shut down for the pandemic. <laughs> True story. And, and many of you have heard me. I fast in January, and all through the year, the Lord says, that's manifesting in June. That's manifesting, but you actually birthed it. And, and how many of you remember where we were in January 2020, when we, when, I, when we obeyed the Lord, and look now, this church has doubled since December, and it's not about numbers, but no wonder the Lord called me to fast and to open ourselves up to a realm of the supernatural, and I put that seed in the ground as he spoke to me, and boom, it came up. Now, I don't care what CNN, I don't care what any of your People that are going, the heretics, agnostics, atheists, I don't care what they say. No one, no one can ever convince me that God's word isn't true. 
Wait, listen, hold on. When, when the world's shut down and you're a pastor in a struggling church that's growing and in recovery mode, the Lord spoke to me and said, don't be concerned about what's in your bank account. Be concerned about what's going out and where it's going. And he said, I'm calling you to, to a season of giving it away. We, we, we gave you all hundreds of dollars and we said, just go give it to people. Anybody remember the Contagious series? And we didn't have that money. And we, we said, all right, just as a holy, I, everybody got a hundred dollar bill. And when you were out, wherever you are, and the Holy Spirit says, that's who I want you to give it to. Just go up and say, hey, I want to give this to you. And they say, why? Tell, I told, tell them, your pastor told him to do that. Your pastor told you to give that to me. Exactly. He said, when the Holy Spirit told me, and the Holy Spirit just told me, and we did, we gave money away. Listen. I'm getting ready to get really real, okay? We started giving, Coleman came in. We didn't have, we were like, all right, we'll do a little spontaneous FaceTime. Is it FaceTime? No, Facebook Live. It said, hey, we're going to raise five grand. We raised 14 grand, almost to the dollar of what they needed over in Western Africa. We were giving money away. Our budget for this year, in five months, we have made our budget for 2021. Why? Because we obeyed, put the seed in the ground. Y'all understand what I'm saying? We're up like ridiculous numbers to God be the glory. And you know what we're still doing? Finding people we can give it to. We said, all right, Coleman, you need 50 grand. We put it out there. Y'all, boom, 195 grand and still and counting. What am I saying? When you put God's principle... I'm not a TV preacher. I'm not a TBN. I'm not promising you I'll send you an autographed book. I don't have one. Here's what I'm saying to you. You take God at his word, put that seed in the ground, you'll be convinced the Bible is true too. Now, if we're going to praise him, come on, give him praise and glory. And did God really say, yeah, how do you know it's true? Because I put it in the ground, it came up. There's a powerful verse of scripture. It should be, I want it in everybody's DNA at this church. John 14 there's so much richness, I don't have time to wring it all out. But Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, whoever has my word and obeys it is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. How many of you have ever had God show himself to you? The, the, the intimacy and the beauty of that promise right there. Why do I believe the Bible is true? Because I've had God. I know the author. And he has shown himself to me. Come on, somebody. Um, now, this is him showing himself to you. That, that's intimate relationship. Um, this is not religion. Okay, now let's talk just for a minute about the difference between religion and spirituality. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Spirituality is God's plan to come to man and invite him into an intimate relationship. So everybody got religion and spirituality. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, many of us, I, I was there at one point where you go, what's so bad about the tree of knowledge? Everybody, everybody should have knowledge, right? Hosea 4, 6 says, my people die for lack of knowledge. That's not what we're talking about. It's the knowledge of good and evil. You see, 
it wasn't really for, everybody try because we're putting some stuff down that's going to be important later. Satan appealed to them the knowledge of good and evil. They already knew good. It's all they knew. They were like a fish. Fish don't know they're wet. They're just wet until they get out of the water. And then they're like, you know, and they flop all over the place. And Satan was appealing to them. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. You already know good, but you don't even know that you know it. But once you taste evil, this is what's going to happen to you. And that's what he appealed to them. And that is a, listen, when people, listen, when all you know is good and evil, you have knowledge of what's good and what's not good, but you don't have a relationship with God. Holy Spirit-filled intimacy. All you have is religion. And religion kills. It kills individuals. It's hard for man to get to God. And we think, well, We know good and evil. Religion kills, kills people, kills families, kills marriages. Christian parents who are religious kill the potential of their children to walk in their same faith. Now, what's instead of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what should we eat from? The other tree that God points out in verse 9, chapter 2, Genesis The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, look, were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now we have two trees. Everybody say tree of life. Tree of life and the tree of knowledge. It's kind of misnamed. It's kind of sexy, but it'll kill you. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Revelation 22 talks about this in verse, um, verse 2. says, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit. There, there's so much good stuff, i, I got to skip over it. Yielding its fruit every month. And look here about the tree of life. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations from the tree of life. In Proverbs Everybody listen here before we go to that verse. Everybody look. All through Proverbs, Solomon is using a metaphor that wisdom is like living out of the tree of life. And when he speaks about wisdom, it's like living out of a tree where you have leaves and fruit that come forth that bring life to people. And verse uh, verse 30, chapter 11 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. Now, everybody tracking with me. Christians live out of one of these trees, either the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about obligation. Some of you came this morning, and let's be honest, you feel more obligation than you do um, joy about being here. It's a, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is about people, they're known for what they don't believe in more than what they believe in. Where the tree of of life, there are people here because you delight in being here. You delight in worshiping the Lord. You're not known for what you don't believe in. You're known for what you do believe in. The tree of life, people who delight in their walk with the Lord, enjoy intimacy, they're known, hear me, for Christ-likeness. The tree of knowledge, Christian, their Facebook posts and Instagram posts are 
significantly different than tree of life believers. Tree of knowledge, they're typically negative and hateful. And the people that live, Christians who try to live out of the tree of knowledge of good and evil only look more like a prune than they do a grape. And they wear it physically. It affects you. Trying to get to God in your own strength will wear you out physically. Your facial countenance will say it. Tree of life people, quite different. Their posts look different. They're honest. They don't lie about this or that. But they're more loving in their tone. Tree of life is a picture of, listen, living out of the tree of life is a picture of walking and talking with God. Living in his provision, his protection, fellowship, friendship, and lordship. It's a picture of living life full of his spirit, resting in him, having a clear conscience. Not being perfect, but having a clear conscience because you're in relationship. Tree of knowledge. You know what? It, it, it relates to shame and, it, and victimization. What, what's the first thing that happened? Eve didn't go, wow, this feels just like being God. We know good and evil. No. They immediately realized, uh uh-oh, we're uncovered. And they covered up themselves because they were in shame. And a lot of people, a lot of Christian branches of this whole movement are about motivating people, manipulating people by shame. And then the other thing is not just shame, it's victimization. People who are in living out the tree of the knowledge of good and evil without an intimate relationship It's always somebody else's fault. Adam said, God, that woman you put here with, it's your fault because you put her here. And she said, that serpent deceived me. And their children, Cain said, well, Abel shouldn't have brought the sacrifice. And, And listen, listen, this is our world. Shame and victims. And we have no control. And we live out of a world, and much of our Christian experience in the West right now is driven by, hey, I know what's right, and I know what's wrong. And there's no love, no relationship, no anointing, no Holy Spirit unction on what we're saying about what is right and what wrong. Now, Satan's strategy was, listen, number one, to appeal to Eve's love for God and her desire to be more like him. Number two, to tempt her to taste something that would bring about the knowledge of evil. Number three, that being evil would bring her shame. This is what Satan was doing. Number four, the shame would separate her. This was the bullseye of what Satan was after, to separate her from God. But she would still know good from evil. This is where so many Christians are today. Listen, stuck out of intimate fellowship with God, having a knowledge, but void of life. I have so much to say. How did we get here? How did this become the deal? Oh, I have so much to say that I got to just choose. Y'all pray for me, seriously. How did we get into, how, how did Satan tempt Eve in paradise? Seven verses after her husband heard God preach the sermon. I don't, I don't mean to get offensive here, but I feel like I should say it. How does marketing get us to take nicotine and draw 
smoke through a stick of tobacco and bring that into our lungs that we know is toxic and exhale it. How does that happen? Because we live in a fallen world. And there's an, I could give 10 other examples. And I, I fall prey to some of those examples. How does that happen? Because we get caught out of intimate relationship with the Father. I'm going somewhere. And, and that, that, relate, that religion without relationship, it, it, it kills. Where if we knew what God actually said, we would be able to receive and live according to that seed. Now, you know this passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 4. Before you pull it up, you guys, this, this, is, a, this is a breakthrough moment that, that we in the church today need to hear it. Jesus has just heard God the Father say at his baptism, You are my son, and in you I'm well pleased. Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness for 40 days. He fasts. He comes out. The first thing he hears is, Satan go, did God really say you are his son? If you are his son, prove it. Command these stones to be made into bread. Oh, there's so much to unpack, but if I do, I'll be down eight rabbit trails and we will never get to where we're going. I mean, you just praise God that we're, Pastor Chuck is overlooking all those rabbit trails. I'm saying no, and we just saved 20 minutes. And Jesus said this. It is written, man shall not, listen, live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Did you hear that? Jesus didn't say, Man lives physically on what comes from the word of God, the mouth of God. You know, well, you're physically alive. Yeah, but Jesus said man lives, man dies if he doesn't live on the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want to I reach into this a second. So many of us are here and you know, let me ask you, when's the last time you heard the word of God from God? You don't have to answer that question. Here's the difference. You know, some of you go, I, well, I come every Sunday. That's what they pay you for, Pastor Chuck. And I do my best. But it's like we went to crumble cookies yesterday. Have you ever had a crumble cookie at the crumble cookie store? And then one, it's good two days later. I mean, it's really good. We're going to eat a box of them today. I went for Candace's birthday and got me some, I mean, got her some crumble cookies. <laughs> and, but listen, Wednesday night, true story. That's, I eat a light lunch and I'm like, that fried chicken from Publix has arrived. They will tell you, Doug McCrabb will tell you. I'm, I'm in the kitchen, everybody else is out here waiting for the food, and I'm like, I'm the cupbearer. I eat it first to make sure it won't kill any of y'all. And um, I get this from my dad. Fried chicken right out of the fryer, perfectly cooked. Who? <clears throat> I'm sitting there. I ate six wings. 
And I, I, Tammy and them will tell you, I was going, this is so good. It was so good. I told them, listen, all that is left over, don't be giving that away to anybody else. And do you know what I did? We got a bunch of it at home. And Friday night, two days later, we put it in that little oven. And I pulled it out. How many of you know it did not taste like it did on Wednesday? <laughs> it's like, how? It's like an old girlfriend from high school. Like, who, whoever thought fried chicken was a good idea? <laughs> the guy who ate it after came up out of the deep fryer. Listen, so many of you live on three-day-old microwaved fried chicken and you don't know what it is to get something the word as it comes from the mouth of God. Listen, this is what Jesus said. This is how you live by every word that proceeds out. Listen, somebody said what the church needs right now is not a bunch of sermons. The word, the church needs a bunch of messages that come hot right out of the oven. And I, listen, I know I'm getting all revved up. I tone it down. I told you, I didn't want to be a pastor anymore. I'm too high octane for the American church. Listen, when I get the word from his mouth to my heart, I'm, I am containing myself. You're like, Pastor Chuck, chill out. No, listen, we live. We, in him we live and move and have our being. Man does not live on fried chicken or bread or rolls or green beans. They live. The church will live when we stand on and declare the word of the living God. Mm. I feel it more than I can say. Are you religious? Christ like how do you know listen when is the last time God told you something when's the last God when's the last time God told you something you really didn't want to hear that challenged your flesh and you didn't want to do it but you needed you knew you needed to so you submitted to the power that the Holy Spirit provides and you did it or actually he did it in you and through you brother let me ask you do you have a moment that you, can, you, that you can recall where you would say, God really said, like I did earlier when I resigned, when God spoke, and, we, and, or, and I said, okay, I'll fast. I can't tell you no. Do you have a moment where God, God spoke to you, not through somebody else. He spoke to you. You need regular moments like this. Some of you think that God only says mean things, like get your act together. It's not true. That's the tree of knowledge thinking. Sometimes I'm being honest with you. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I hear God say, I love you. Sometimes I hear God say, today is going to be an amazing. Sometimes I hear him say that. Sometimes I hear God saying things like, do you realize how good marriage is? When you do it, I, I'm, I'm not putting on a, and I'll go, I do. And he'll go, that was my idea. <laughs> I'm serious. This is what marriage is. Recreating. Now, I'm not trying to get PG-13 or rated R. Holy Spirit, he's not just coming going, you need to straighten up. You need. 
This is a relationship. He likes you. He created you in his image. Oh, Lord, I could go for an hour. Sometimes he says, do you realize how good your wife is? I'm like, I do now. I'm, I I'm keep telling you, you're laughing, and I'm telling you, these are conversations I have. And he'll say, try to remember that. Holy Spirit is that practical. He'll tell me what my child, my, my son needs. I'll give him something he doesn't need, and Holy Spirit will say, no, that's not the way I want it done. This is a tree of life living. When we choose to eat or live from the tree of life, we are choosing, listen, a certain mentality. It, I don't know this, and I'm not, it just wouldn't surprise me if that tree of life in the garden became the cross. But Jesus, I don't know that, and I have no reason, but I just, just I, I like to think that because when we choose, it's a mentality, an attitude, a way of living, listen, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, not my ability. We are choosing to live life, live by the life that God offers all of us through Jesus. This was the life Jesus talked about constantly and the life that he himself was. When man lives on every word, every word, capital W, who is the word? When man lives on Jesus, it comes out of God's mouth. He will experience life. This is why Jesus, over and over and over, John 1, verse 4, he said, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. 10, 10, I have come that they might have, say it with me, life, and have it to the full. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the, come on, say it out loud, I am the, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is tree of life living. Now, I'm going to take a little turn right here, and I want you to follow me because we're going to drill down on a couple things. We've got a few minutes left. There's a term, evangelicals. Anybody heard the term? Kids growing up in Christian churches, evangelical churches, are leaving the faith at record numbers. We have a new term called now deconstruction. They're deconstructing their faith. We have this progressive Christianity that at least children says is not Christianity at all. People leaving the faith is nothing new, right? It's happened forever. But there are several critical reasons why it's happening right now. Number one, when Jimmy goes off to college, we have poorly taught a doctrine of Scripture that can, cannot stand up to scrutiny or criticism. Not all have done this, but most have. When Jimmy goes off to college and his religious studies professor completely destroys his doctrine of Scripture, his whole faith was built upon this. Everything rests upon it. Solo Scriptura. And when you break the doctrine of Scripture for Jimmy, then everything else in his Christian faith falls apart. And Jimmy feels like he's been lied to and now has resentment toward his faith and his family. Jimmy has not heard good doctrine. Second reason, the alignment now with, listen, evangelicalism, with political conservatism, and even 
Trumpism, as some will call it. And if now you can't be this kind of faith person unless you vote this way. And if you don't hold to this belief or that, then you're really not one of us. And Jimmy has chosen to say, okay, I'm not going to be one of y'all because Jimmy is troubled by the whole system of religion and politics. Because truth is, both parties are messed up. I'm not going to wait for you to say amen because I know where most of you stand. Now we have a religion of politics, a religion of social justice, a religion of race, and we have empty churches. Actually, what we have is churchianity with very little Christianity. And this pandemic is exposing all of us both good and bad. And I believe it's beautiful because God is sending an awakening. Number three, being an ex-evangelical is now it has a cultural incentive. There's some social cachet to being an ex-evangelical. When did it become, like I mentioned earlier, some of the worship artists who are leaving the faith and making an announcement? Just leave the faith. We don't need you to announce it. When did it be, because they're so, it's kind of like, I'm hip. And, and, they're, and they don't even realize, Paul called it the system of this world. That's what Paul called it. And so they leave. You know, and now, if you, if you are not open to multiple gender identities, you're now like a, a, a young, eighth grade, straight girl. It's called a cis. As if she's some prude, out of touch, out of date, irrelevant girl. Becoming an ex-evangelical has some groove to it. Someone who is now enlightened and sophisticated, having seen the light, and now you are woke. These are three main reasons why People have always left the faith. They're leaving it now for these three main reasons. Let's talk about deconstructionism. And this is some of what the Uncensored series is going to be about in, in, in July. Deconstruction, when you start breaking up your faith, it's, it's not all bad. Jesus was a deconstructionist. He turned over the tables in the temple. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos. Martin Luther, they were deconstructions. When the standards of this world violate or encroach upon our faith, we must deconstruct. Oh, we must deconstruct. How many of you know in the American church, it could use a good biblical deconstruction so that we could reconstruct it biblically? I'm not going to pause there, but everybody just silently. Just say amen under your breath. Now, um, track with me. Why? Why are kids deconstructing their faith? There's a few external reasons. We'll talk about external and then internal. External reasons why first. First, low discipleship culture. Bonhoeffer, 100 years ago, called it cheap grace. It's the whole idea that you could be a Christian and choose not to be a disciple. That's not biblical Christianity. Second external reason is ascendant secular ideologies 
um, John Mark Comer, the great young pastor and tremendous thinker in Portland, of all places. He says, on both sides of the cultural religious battle, there's this ascendant secular, secular ideology, and they compete as quasi-religions for, for a faith for a better tomorrow. And thirdly, and, and we could talk about them, we will in July. Thirdly, there is a be true to yourself religion. Please hear me. What is that? As this generation has seen pastor scandal after pastor scandal after pastor scandal. Sociologically, a generation can only take so much of this until all trust in all spiritual leaders in the church is obliterated. And I could give exhibit A, B, and C. Those are the external reasons, the internal reasons. They're wounded. They're born not into goodness like Adam and Eve. They're born into badness, wound, hurt. And children who experience hurt at young ages do not grow up with open heart going, hey, tell me about my heavenly father. They're wounded, and we should understand that. They're hurt from the past. Third, uh, secondly, the internal reasons. Please hear me. Barna says it's the digital life. It inputs 3,000 hours at least per year in the life of a Christian kid, 150 of which are Christian influences. So 3,000 hours, 150 of which are Christian influence. So for a Christian kid in a church, they get 20 to 1 ratio of secular input. And believe me, it's going to shape how you view the world. So we need to begin by calling out what is right about the deconstruction. One more statistical fact I want to put in your framework. I'm a student of this stuff. Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Church in America. He's not a believer, not a ministerial person. And it's, it deals with this, listen, sociologically, so, I'm sorry, the sociological history of the church in America. And, and you don't have to read the book. It's a big 400-level, graduate-level book. But it, it says three things. Number one, he, he, sociologically, he says, this country was most unchristian at its founding more than any other time. And the numbers bear it out for the number of people in the states versus the number of people who were involved in church life or, or claimed to be Christian. And he says the most Christian season ever in America was in the 1950s. What's the Good news about that. Well, some of you all were alive in the 50s, and it shaped us. And thank God it did, because it was a boost in the arm of the Western church. And as a result, we have a, sure, a really strong foundation. I could go on and on. The miracle revivals, or supernatural outpouring of the charismatic gifts. There's a lot of things. The second thing, well, let me say, so we shouldn't be concerned sociologically if things don't seem to be trending upward for Christianity. Second thing the book says, the most post-Christian part of America was the South. And the most Christian part originally was the Northeast. I find that hard to believe. But he said it has shifted. 
And here's the last one, the third one. He gets to the end. It's not a Christian book. It's not a pastoral book. He doesn't moralize it. Just as a sociologist, he makes the point that, listen, we have now 250 years since what Bible students call German higher criticism, which is the beginning of theological liberalism. For 1,700 and some odd years, we accepted the Bible as the word of God. And this German higher criticism began to inject sociological beliefs into scriptural teachings. And many people don't like to admit it, but it is, that was the beginning of theological liberalism. And it was also the theology behind the Third Reich that first took root in Germany and was the, the I'm sorry, was it, it, it was behind the Third Reich, which no one wants to admit. Now, then it moved to communism. And now it has come through Michael Foucault and other French modernists into America, into elite universities, and is now showing up on our Instagram feed, German Higher Criticism. This all started 250 years ago, and he just makes the point, listen, here's the encouraging part. He makes the point that the liberal churches die, and conservative churches flourish. He doesn't mean conservative in the sense of Republican or evangelical. He means conservative in the sense of like they have a commitment to Jesus, discipleship to Jesus. They have a commitment to prayer, Christian orthodoxy, a high commitment to the scriptural teachings and doctrine of the Bible, and they place high value on obedience to Jesus. Did you hear that? That sounded like someone just described Restoration Church. Progressive Christianity is not the... Oh, I have a lot to say. Progressive Christianity is not the future. Be not worried. Progressive Christianity isn't even Christianity. It has no power to transform. If it has no power to transform, it's trendy. The trend will run out soon. We're seeing... The beginnings across the nation in churches that are calling people to biblical Christianity. Even in this pandemic, this isn't the only place this is happening. We're seeing a resurgence, especially among young adults. People are walking away from progressive Christianity. We're seeing the beginnings of an awakening, even here at Restoration. Do you know last Sunday there were 70 people here five years and younger. Ten infants in the infant department. Just praise God you're in here and not over there. Listen, 31 children in one room, four years and five years old. That's, that's awesome. COVID's been good to some of y'all. That quarantine is starting to show up. We're having some, a baby boom around here. Now, people are walking away from progressive Christianity. Simplified, low-level commitment Christianity, churchianity, but people are responding to the glory of God because people were made to experience Him, encounter His presence, and experience His kingdom. Now, y'all still with me? 
If you are or not, I'm going to keep going. I want to be careful here, and I, I, I want to not be judgmental. I want to be honest. The largest denomination in our nation just recently, they're dealing with an, a, a massive challenge. This week, two letters leaked into the public domain that should cause Christians both inside and outside of this denomination to repent and to demand change. It's not that these letters should be viewed as the straws or two-by-fours that broke the camel's back. In fact, the camel's back broke long ago. The only question is whether a critical mass of Christians will finally realize that sad and terrible fact. The letters come from Russell Moore. Until last month, Moore served as the president of this denomination's um, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He's one of America's most prominent advocates for life and religious freedom, and he's been in the eye of America's political and religious storm since he became president of the ERLC in 2013. But now he's leaving that and his denomination. On May 18th, we learned he resigned from the commission to launch a public theology project at Christianity Today. Last Tuesday, we learned that he left his denomination entirely. His letters contain terrible allegations of racism, enabling abuse, and cruelty at the highest levels of America's largest Protestant denomination. Last month, they realized that this denomination has lost a stunning 435,632 members since the end of 2020. Some of those individuals have left for other churches. Some have left the faith entirely. Why? It's not hard to analyze. The tolerance for predation or predatorial spiritual leadership and corruption, listen, they say demonstrates no fear for God, a pervasive fear of the word, or the left demonstrates no faith in God. Brazen abusers disregard God's justice. Fearful believers behave as if the maker of the heavens and earth needs corrupt politicians or corrupt pastors to preserve his people's presence in the land. I, can, I can't put it better than Russell Moore. Writing in April, shortly before his departure from the denomination, he said, listen, young evangelicals are walking away from evangelicalism not because they do not believe what the church teaches but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. In other words, young Americans are saying to church leaders, why should I believe when you so obviously do not? Now, brothers and sisters, in that, this is our moment. The church of Jesus Christ was built for this. This is the mercy of God. The book of Revelation is where I'm going to close right here. Please listen for five more minutes. The book of Revelation written in 96 AD. Domitian said, as the Rome emperor, if you do not worship me as God, you'll face the consequences in 96 AD. You have to travel to Rome, pinch some incense, Throw it on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord, not Jesus. And yet, here we are still. 
And you can go to Rome and pay $20 and take the tour and see the ruins of the Caesar. Here we are 1,900 years later, still worshiping Jesus in North Atlanta. All this talk about deconstructionalism, ex-evangelicals, this is our time. This is not a time to straddle the fence or for spiritual leaders to speak in general terms as to not offend anyone, play it safe, and hope we get back to normal sometime soon. When you read the book of Revelations, we, the church, we're not the ones in trouble, filled with fear, locked up, or limited. No, Satan is the one who is locked up, limited, and aware that his time is short. It's our time to shine. This is our moment. Come on. Praise your name, Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around because I, I want to put some stuff into our DNA. I, I don't preach a lot from the book of Revelation, but there's a passage. It's not hard to understand. And, and it will shock you, you know. I told somebody, I'm not, read, I'm not watching the news anymore. I'm reading it in the Bible. Revelation 17. L- listen to this. Then one of the angel, seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. You're going, wait, what? Slow down a second. The angel brings John and shows him a picture of a beast and a prostitute. And the prostitute is Babylon. Hear me. The spirit of the world. World power. World fame. World wealth. That's who the prostitute is. And she's seductive. And she comes riding up on a beast. And the beast, listen, is the demonic seductive power of the state of government and here she is coming up and and look what it says I want to read back I will show you the judgment of the great harlot the prostitute with whom the kings of the earth listen the, the leaders of free nations have been seduced by her and they're committing fornication they're not being responsible to the people they lead. They're caught up in this world power thing. And it says, And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. They all loved this spirit, this prostitute, this harlot, this system of Babylon, world power, world fame and and wealth. And look what verse 3 says. So he carried me away, John saying, he carried, the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, the angel right here is actually the Greek word pastor. 
the angel said to me, why did you marvel? Everybody look right here. You may go, Pastor Chuck, get, I'm going to make it simple. So this spirit of world power and denomination, uh, uh, domination comes riding up five book chapters before the Bible ends on this demonic state government control. And John, the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, says, I looked at her and I was like, wow, dang, she looks good. And he said, then the angel said, John, why are you looking at her like that? Why do you marvel? When I read this, I see, listen to me, how precipitous this day is. As a church, we could easily, we could easily miss it thinking we're right. With noble, sincere purposes. It's this where John, the beloved disciple, is going, wow, yes. And the angel goes, John, stop, wake up. Don't marvel at her. We're in a moment. God help us to have angels over churches, priests, prophets, pastors, who will stand up and say, God actually said, God really said, his word is true. Don't fall in love with a prostitute. She'll break your heart every time. A few verses later, verse 9 says, this calls for a mind with wisdom. Can somebody say greatest understatement ever in the history of the Bible? I'm closing. How am I going to close this? Let's go back. I, I, I'm calling you to intimate spirituality. I'm calling you to, to live. Paul said in Ephesians 5, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I, I'm not perfect, but I'll tell you what. I, I can help you grow. And I'm not, I'm not bashful or shy or cocky about it. But here's the deal. There's an anointing on my life. Yeah. If I miss... I'm going to miss swinging for the fence. But I'll tell you what, I'm a man of prayer. I'm a man of fasting. I love the word of God. This is not time for weak need spiritual leadership. This is not a time to build a crowd. Seeker sensitivity has given us a bunch of weak need Christians who I don't even know if they're really Christians. It's time for us to stand on the word of God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Listen, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about our denomination, it's not about these singers, it's not about this building project, it's, it's about Jesus. When we came out of the pandemic, that first Sunday we gathered, I said, we're going to do a couple things. We are going to celebrate Jesus. We are going to take communion monthly. We are going to make Jesus the central attraction again. We are going to exalt Jesus. I humble myself before you. If I, God, I commit, if I ever begin to like and enjoy and take the praise, or if I ever touch your glory, Lord, you strike me down in a second. This is about you and your kingdom and your church and your people. 
being able to go, no, I'm not going to look at that Babylon, Babylonian spirit. I'm not going to be seduced by that. We could read the rest of that chapter. And the angel says, John, let me show you what happens to her. And the Bible says, and all of his people that followed the lamb, they stood and watched her get annihilated. You hear me, brothers and sisters. Christianity is going to survive what we're going through right now. In fact, if we'll get with God's plan and be able to go, yes, God really said, we're not going to just survive. There is a thriving. There is an awakening. There is a revival coming to this land. You can mark. Is everybody going to be part of it? No. 6,500 churches closed every year on average for the last 13 years. Last year, over 10,000 will close. Uh, Tom Rayner says in the next 10 years, we will see 100,000 evangelical churches shut the door, board up the windows, and they will sell the property. Why? Because there's no glory. There's no word. There's no Holy Spirit. There's a generation that said, we know right from wrong. And their children go, that's all you know. I'm looking for something more than that. They were created with a hole in their heart to find God, the eternal God, to be touched by the glory of God. Come on, stand to your feet. We praise you, Lord. Come on, stand to your feet. Let's give him praise this morning. Let's receive his word. We honor you, Lord God. Glory to your name, Jesus. Come on, just worship the Lord in here. We honor you, Lord. We praise your name, Jesus. We praise your name, Jesus. We praise your name, Jesus. I know this is like, wow, high octane for for many of you. But I'm calling you. You knowing good and evil is not enough. I'm calling you to commit to a place of spiritual intimacy. You may go, Pastor, I don't even know how to read the Bible. Call me, text me. I'm accessible to help you do that. We can teach you how to, you can actually teach someone how to hear from God. Some of us, our question is, did God actually say? Some of us, our question is, does God still speak? Yes. He actually still speaks. I hear him talking right now. Are y'all out there? I know, I know, I know. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. If you're here this morning and you go, you know what? I don't remember the last time I had fresh fried chicken from the Lord. I, I want to, I maybe I've never had it. Maybe I've lived off four-day-old, cold, refrigerated, dry chicken. I want to I get, it'll change you. It'll transform your life. If you're here this morning, you're saying, I'm realizing, I'm a little dry. I haven't been walking in spiritual intimacy, but I want that. Hands should go up all over this room. How many of you say, I want that? Come on, hold your hand up. Come on, tell the Lord now. We praise you, Lord. You see our hands, you see our hearts, Lord. This is a hungry group of believers. We love you, Lord. We love your word. We, we are primed and ready. Holy Spirit, come take control. Help us drop your seed in the ground of our hearts, in the soil of our lives. May our children be raised in the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. No ex-evangelicals here in this church. They're going to be a generation stand on our shoulders. They're going to see the glory of our God. They're going to see the 
the miracles of heaven. You are, as you said in John 14, 20, you are going to show yourself to this place. You are going to manifest yourself in the name of Jesus, we pray. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. I just speak life over you. I speak adventure into your spiritual existence. I speak curiosity and courageous living. I speak faith for you to do things that you even surprise your wife. You surprise yourself. You begin hearing from the Lord. You begin moving out of being a believer into being a disciple, a world changer, a difference maker. How many of you could catch a vision of eight or 900 world changers getting in this room every Sunday, every weekend? That's what God wants us to be. Amen? We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you for your word. Just fill us up, Lord. Drench us in your spirit. Intoxicate us. Inebriate us by your spirit, Lord. For righteous living, radical faith, wisdom, the tree of life, not the tree of knowledge, the tree of life. Shape Jesus in us. Holy Spirit, birth, conceive Jesus, incarnate us, oh God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I just want to speak his blessing over you. May the Lord, I don't say this just because we're trying to find a way to dismiss. In Numbers chapter 6, the power of blessing of the Father or of the spiritual leader. I just pray, and it's not my blessing, it's his blessing. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance. And I like to say it, and may he make you feel like you're his favorite. Amen? And may he give you peace. Now, how many of you say, I receive it from me and my household? Come on. Would you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Say it with me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.